Hey, my name is Colton. I'm one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this message. The book of James is so interesting to me because it's so practical. It's why we're, it's why we're calling this series Axioms for Life because a lot of scholars refer to James like the New Testament version of Proverbs. And, and it's, just, it's just jam-packed with practical, kind of step-on-your-toes type of wisdom. And really over the last few weeks, we've been identifying what James has, has, been, has, has identified over 2,000 years ago where he, where he kind of said there's, there's really five marks of maturity. This is what James in his letter to the church at Jerusalem was originally all about. He's, he's saying these kind of these five marks of maturity are, are what we're talking about over our five weeks. And James is basically saying if we can, if we're going to grow in our faith, then we've got to grow in these five areas of maturity as it relates to our, to our faith, which is why in week number one, we talked about becoming patient and testing. As James says, consider it pure joy, right? If you remember this all the way back from week one, consider it pure joy when you face trials and temptations, testing of, of any kind, because it actually helps build your faith. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a, a good thing. It, it, it helps us to, to grow. And then in week two, we identified what does it look like to practice the truth, like not just talk the talk, right? Like, we don't want to just be followers of Jesus who talk about it. We actually want to live it out. Like, we want to, we want to walk the walk. Like, we actually want to follow Jesus. And then last week, Weston did a fantastic job of identifying that third mark of maturity, what it looks like to grow in our faith, become a mature follower of Jesus when he, when he taught on having power over your tongue. How many of y'all were here last week or got to listen online uh, to Weston's teaching? Come on, did he not do a fantastic job? Did, did so good. And, this week, DJ Weston is back on, back on sound. <laughs> well done. All of our production guys, DJ, actually DJ, not a DJ, but his name is DJ, and Lane and Colton. Man, I'm so thankful for those guys who, who just make this thing happen every single week. You guys are, are some real heroes of ethos. And, and then today, we're going to talk about becoming a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Next week, again, we're going to be online, and we, we already recorded this. We're going to talk about becoming prayerful in troubles. I told my wife yesterday, I said, man, she said, she said, hey, I forgot to ask you, how'd recording go on Thursday? I said, well, besides the fact that we lost all of worship, my, my teaching went really well. Like, it, 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 we got that. We caught that. And, and I said, I was like, it was one of those rare times where I walked away, I was like, that was actually pretty good. Like, that was, which doesn't happen to me every time I teach. Usually I get off, I'm like, yeah, so-so. But last, when we recorded, I thought that was really good. So hopefully you can lean in and, and we can all grow together as it relates to what it looks like, according to James, to really pray prayers of faith in times of, in times of trouble. But, but I want to lean in today to discuss what does it look like to grow, to become a mature follower of Jesus, as it relates to becoming a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Everybody say peacemaker. Peacemaker. How many of y'all know a troublemaker? Can I see your hand? You know a troublemaker? Yeah, yeah, I know a few. Yeah, okay. Yeah, some of you are pointing fingers. How many of y'all, how many of y'all would say, I am a troublemaker? Can I see the real honest people in here? Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Zach. Well done. Yeah, Chelsea's like, sometimes. 50% of the time, I'm a troublemaker. And, 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 but how, how many of y'all love peacemakers, though? Not just peacekeepers, right? Which we're not going to get into the difference, but I think you can generally understand. But love peacemakers. Like, they're willing to kind of get to the bottom of the issue, to the root of the cause, and really bring about Bring about peace. This is what James is talking about. In fact, I want to pick up in James 3, verse 17, where Wesson left off last week, where James writes that the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. He's talking about God right here. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. I mean, how good is, 
how good is our heavenly Father? I mean, that, that's that right there. Like, I, we could just, I could just sit on that, like, meditate and marinate on that for a minute. And I'm telling you, man, God is, He's so much better than oftentimes we we realize He is. He goes on and says, the wisdom of God shows no favoritism. We talked about that in week two, and it's it's always sincere. Those who are, here's that word again, peacemakers. This is where James begins to transition to this fourth mark of maturity. They're going to plant seeds of peace, and they're going to reap a harvest of righteousness. I remember when I was in junior high, in fact, I believe I was in seventh grade. It was the first time that I had experienced like some pretty severe back pain. Anybody else ever have like really bad back pain before? Like not the type where you're like, ah, it kind of hurts. Like the type where like it lays you up, like you are knocked out. You know what I'm talking about? Like spasms are so bad. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just, it just hurts. Like you can barely even walk. It's like some of the worst type of pain, which my wife later told me, she's like, no, the worst type of pain is giving birth. Stop saying that. But... But it's the worst type of pain for a male, okay? We'll just concede there. But it's, it hurts. And I remember growing up, going to different doctors, and they would say, it's just growing pains, Jordan, just, just growing pains. Well, by the time I finished growing, and I kept having that pain, I was like, this isn't back pain. In fact, at one point, a doctor even told me, like, you're probably going to need surgery someday. Well, later on, my, my wife started working for a doctor after we got, got married. She said, hey, you should go see Dr. Reagan. I thought, okay, I'll, get, I'll give him a shot. So I, I go to Dr. Reagan. After about 30 minutes of this consultation, he, he says, hey, I think I've identified the problem. I think I know what's wrong. I thought, man, for years, all these doctors, nobody knew, but you know in 30 minutes? All right, what is it? He says, it's your feet. I said, no, it's my back. He said, no, 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 it's your feet. I said, man, no, no, you're not listening to me. It's my, my back. And he says, no, no, Jordan, he said, it's your feet. He says, true story. He says, it looks like your feet got all jacked up from a sledgehammer. Somebody flattened them out. I was like, man, you are such a nice guy. And he says, so it looks like your feet are so flat. He says, it's causing some pain on your knees, which is then causing pain in your, in your back. He says, all, the root problem of your pain is... Is your, is your feet. In fact, he began to give me some exercise how I could build the arches of my feet up. He said, kind of put your, put your toe, point them inward, then stand on your tippy toes, walk backwards, and do this several times a day for several months, and then eventually you can kind of lessen the amount you do it. You're going to build the arches up. In the meantime, I want you to go ahead and wear these inserts. Here's, some, here's like some prescription inserts for your shoes. Next thing you know, like my arches start to build up. They don't look like they got hit by a sledgehammer anymore. If you see them on the beach, you can look real closely. And and you're like, what beach? Alum Creek, come on out. And, and <laughs> like, we're in Ohio, it's the best we got. And so, and, and, but I realized, like, oh, like, he got to the root of the problem. As a result, I didn't have the same pain in my back. And this is, this is what James does as it relates to becoming a peacemaker. He, he says, hey, the problem isn't that just we, we make trouble. The problem is that there's kind of a root to that, to that trouble. And he, he begins in the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, which just happens to be the very next verse after verse 18, which if you remember two weeks ago, we discussed how, how James, as well as every other book of the Bible, is not written with chapters and verses, which is a benefit to us today. Later, the translators put those chapters and verses in, and the benefit is that we can quickly identify where we're going in the scripture, but the detriment is that sometimes we think it's like a new subject. Like the next chapter is something brand new that now the author or that God is, is speaking to us. No, it's all, it's all part of the same theme here, but James picks up in the next verse. He says, what is it that's causing the, the quarrels in the fighting among you? Which James identifies for us the, the first thing that later he's going to even introduce this word, but for now I'll just introduce it for us. What, the first thing that we are at war with 
which if you're taking notes, you can write this down, that we're, we're at war with, with each other. James says, what? What's causing the fighting in the quarrels among you? Now, it's important that we remember for just a moment, like, who James is speaking to, the context, the people that James was writing this letter to, it was originally written to the church at Jerusalem. So these are, these are Christians, and James is the brother of Jesus, and he's saying, hey, there's, there's some fighting among you, problems, conflict, and drama, like, within the church, which is kind of funny, right? Because, like, the church today, like, Christians today, like, we don't, we don't have any problems anymore. Like, we don't fight. We don't have conflict. Like, there's no drama in the church today. So we're just going to breeze by this one because it's irrelevant to us. 2,000 years later, we got that straight, right? James, James, thank you for your advice, but it's not good for us. Let's move on. No, that's not true. Like, like I think today, I, this is just my observation. I, I think there may be more fighting in the church than there is outside of the church. Like, it's unfortunate. I think 2020 may have even exposed a... Uh, a lot of that. This is what James is saying. He said, he said what's causing these, these quarrels, though? Like, like why, why is it? Because one of the things I think is really interesting is just in conversation with other people, I, I, I think I've discovered that, that the reason why most people never give church a shot, see, see people are open to God. It's just, it's just the, they're not really open to, like, the church because of what they've seen. I think the church today, the capital C church, has a, has a massive marketing problem. Like, we've got the best message in the world. Like, undeniably, we hold the patent on the greatest message ever, and yet most people are like, yeah, but y'all don't look any different than the rest of the world. And now if I go, I'm just going to feel guilty about some stuff, and I don't get to sleep in on Sundays. And so, excuse me, I found better things to do. Like, like, but, but no, James is like, hey, what's, what's causing it? We gotta, get to the, we gotta get to the root of this so we don't spend so much unnecessary time fighting and, and, ta- and, and doing things that only divide us. Because not only do we fight with people in the church, but come on, we all know this to be true. We fight with people outside of the church. We fight with people who don't value the same things we value. They don't believe the same things we believe. They don't behave the same way we behave. They don't raise their kids the same way we raise our kids. They don't go to the same school that we believe you ought to go to. Like, we've spent all these time, but we, what, like, where is this? And James says, what, why is that? Like, where's that coming from? Like, where's that propensity within us to post that thing about that person or to passive-aggressively say this about somebody behind their back? Like, where does that, what's the root of that? Because, by the way, you know that's, that's like the anti-prayer of Jesus. Like, division in the church among believers is like the anti, it's the, it's the, it's the anti-prayer of Jesus. He, he himself, Jesus himself prayed to the Father in John 17, 20, 21. He says, I pray that, that they all will be one. Who, who's they? He's talking about brothers and sisters, like followers of him. Like he, this is who he's referring to. He's, Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and here's why. He says, I pray that they could be one. I pray, and may they be in us so that the world would believe that you sent me. Like evidently Jesus is is implying here that like when, when we are in unity, then the world believes that Jesus is who he says he is. Like it's actually the way that we unite as a body that will reveal to the world who Jesus really is. It's, it's kind of, again, kind of getting to the root of the issue, but, but James, James is saying, he's saying, hey, what, what, what's causing this though? What's causing this? Because we belong to the same family, we trust the same Savior, we're indwelt by the same Holy Spirit, but we fight. Like what's... What's causing this? 
So James goes on as he continues to dig deeper into the root of the issue. Check this out. This is so good. He, he begins to show us the reason why we fight is because we're actually, we're not just at war with other people, but it's because we're at war with ourselves. Well, we're at war with ourselves, that flows out into becoming at, you know, battling with other people. Look at what he says in James 4 as he continues in that first verse. He says, don't they come, don't these, don't these quarrels, don't they come from the evil desires that are at, there's that word, at war within us? Oh wait, James, what are you saying here? He's saying the wars among us are, are caused by the wars that are happening within us. If we're, if we're really real, like, not just like, oh, I mean, I'm a kind of a good person, so, you know, I can kind of excuse myself from some of these, some of these conversations, some of these talks with the Bible, because I'm, I'm good, like, this doesn't really apply to me, I'm not really at war with myself, nor am I at war with others, but let's just, we're going to keep digging down in the root here as James kind of steps on all of our toes, but if we're, if we're really honest with ourselves, we've we got to recognize that the essence of sin is selfishness, and we don't like to use that word sin very much today, it, it's been a bit like, I don't know, maybe seen or viewed as like antiquated in the church today, but let's just call it what it is. Like, sin is missing the mark of God. It's, it's not meeting the standard of, of God. And we all fall prey to missing the mark of God. Like, all of us, none of us are exempt from that reality. And, and the essence of sin, the root of it, is, self, is self, self-centeredness. Your, your problem, my problem, doesn't really have anything to do with other people. No, they're actually rooted in self-centeredness. In, in selfishness. Look, listen to what Warren Wearsby says. He's, he's one of my favorite biblical scholars and, and commentators. He passed away about three years ago now, but he, he wrote that people who are at war with themselves because of selfish desires, they're, they're always unhappy people. They never enjoy life. Instead of being thankful for the blessings they do have, they, they complain about the blessings that they do not have. They can't get along with other people because they're always envying others for what they, for what, what they have and what they do. And they they're always looking for that, that magic something that will change their lives when the real problem is within their own hearts. It's, with, it's kind of within us. And this is what James continues to go on. And again, he's just, he's just kind of digging beneath the surface there. What James is about to reveal to us as well is that selfish desires, this, this self-centeredness that we all, all of us, the person on your left is not exempt from this, and the person in your seat, God bless you, is not exempt from this. That was just like you saying amen. Amen. <laughs> and and we, we're, we're all, none of us are exempt from this. If the selfish desires in us, they, they lead to not only wrong actions, but look at what James says. They, they, lead, to, they lead to wrong praying too. He goes on in verse, verse two of chapter four. You want what you don't have, so you, you kind of fight and you scheme to, to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you, you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you, well, you don't ask God for it. And then when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You, you want only what will give you pleasure. You catch what James is saying here? He said, maybe you're at war with yourself. Like it's, the war with other people is actually a root of being at war with your, yourself. Now next week, we'll jump a little bit into this, but really the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Now here's what's so interesting. 
we're all, to a certain degree, familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Like, we've, we've heard of the Ten Commandments at the very least. And, and what's so interesting to me is that the very last commandment, I mean, the last thing that God gives Moses, this great leader of Israel, as Moses is on the mountain called Sinai, and God's giving him these Ten Commandments, saying, go take these to the people of Israel and share these with them. And the last one that God concludes with, he says, hey, Moses, tell the people Thou shalt not covet. All of these commandments, he's like, hey, I'm going to save this last one here. This is the last one. There's always something significant about the last. Don't, don't covet. Hey, like, don't envy what isn't yours. Like, don't, don't pursue what's not yours. Don't, don't covet. Now, here's what's so interesting is the last of the Ten Commandments, the last one, but its violation can make us break all other nine. Like, all of them are kind of hinging on this one commandment right here. And as a result, instead of seeking God's will, we, we tell God what he's supposed to do, and then we get angry with him when, when he doesn't obey, right? And then, and then this anger at God eventually spills over, and we get angry at God's people. But, but did you see there? We, we went just another layer beneath the surface again, because the third thing that, that James is showing us is that we're at war with other people, we're at war with ourselves, and we're at war with God. Now, this is really strong language, but this is where we begin to land the plane as we kind of open up the root of the problem of being a troublemaker, not a peacemaker. But, but James uses this really strong language because for most of us, if, if we were just sitting down at coffee and I looked across at you and I said, I said, hey, Alec, man, you're at war with God. Alec would be like, and Alec's a big dude, but he'd be like, I don't want to be at war with God. In fact, Jordan, I don't think I am at war with God. Because I think for most of us, we, we would say, I'm not at war with God. I mean, myself included. But as James begins to, again, he just, I don't know how else to say it. Besides, he just kind of keeps digging to the root of the problem here. He, he says, no, 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 we're, we're actually all at war with God. And this is what's causing our war with ourselves and our war with with other, with other people. And look at, look at what he writes here in James chapter four, verse four. He uses some really strong language. He says, you adulterers. He's speaking to Christians again. He says, you adulterers. He says, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Like, I'm, I wanna say it again. Like if you wanna be a friend of the world, you gotta, you make yourself an enemy of, of God. And then he goes on, he says, do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate. One translation says that God is jealous, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him and to, and to him alone. In essence, what James is saying, the root cause of every war in the church and outside of the church, it's, it's, all, it's all rooted in a rebellion against God. Now here's what, the, the best, that, best way I know how to describe this is it comes from Something I read that William Barclay and his, his commentary on the book of James, what, what he wrote. He, now, William Barclay is probably my favorite New Testament commentator. And he, he says this, this form of expression where James says, you adulterers, he says, this form of expression may offend some delicate modern ears, but the, the picture of Israel as the bride of God and of God as the husband of Israel has something very precious in it. It means that to disobey God is like breaking the marriage vow. It means that all sin is sin against love. It means that our relationship to God is not like the distant relationship of king and subject or master and slave, but like the intimate relationship of husband and wife. It means that when we sin, we break God's heart as the heart of one partner in a marriage may be broken by the desertion of the other. And so what James is saying here in essence, he's, he's saying, hey, listen, 
You're at war with others because you're at war with yourself, but it's all a result of being at war with, with God. And so then James says, okay, but here's what I want you to really understand. How do you become at peace with God so that then you can become a peacemaker? And what James isn't saying here, remember, he's talking to Christians. So what he's not implying here is that, oh, you need to become at peace with God by giving your life to Jesus. No, no, that, that, that's the first step, yes. And we'll give an opportunity here later to, to make that decision. But, but what James, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have already placed their faith in Jesus. He's saying, y'all are at war with God. He said, we, my, I, Jordan, you're at war. You're at war with, with God. So then what do we need to do? And this is where James goes on. He says, God gives grace generously. Ooh, I love this part right here. This is where the good news comes in. He says, he gives grace generously. I love gracious people, but I definitely love the grace of God. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Now, this is where James begins. He says, if you want to become at peace with God, he said, here's how you do it. The first thing that you do is you got to learn how to submit to God. And this is where James says in verse, verse 7, he says, so then, so then, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he's going to then flee from, from you. Now, this word submit, it's an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word hypotasso, which is a military term. Crazy, right? Like James is using this military term here where it actually literally means to rank under or to obey. Did you catch that? What James is saying here is that when it comes to our relationship with God, we have to ensure that we are ranking ourselves under God. Now, you say, oh, Jordan, that's easy. God's God, I'm not. But I know that in my own life, it's not that easy. Like sometimes I rank myself above God. Sometimes I say, ah, yeah, I'm gonna do it this way. <laughs> Maybe not overtly, but like covertly. Yeah, God, I'm gonna take this part of your word, but I'm not really gonna take this part of your word. Like, yeah, I heard you say that, and cool, that's good, that applies to my wife. No doubt that applies to my wife. But like this part of your, ah, I don't know about that. I was, I was, Ethos Youth Camp kicked off this past Tuesday, and man, it was, it was so good. It was, it was so much fun, and uh, I got to be there, and, and Jensen and Megan asked me to speak on night one, and I was so honored to do that, and it was, it was just, it, we had so much fun, but I was able to speak to our, to our students, and, and, and at one point, I just was encouraging them. I said, you know how you know if God is speaking to you? So whenever you're in like a church service or at youth or in a small group setting and, or you're reading the Bible or you're in conversation with a friend and you're kind of talking about the things of God and you hear something and you think to yourself, ooh, that's really encouraging. That's God speaking to you. Or you hear something and you think, ooh, that kinda, that's kind of hard. Like, ah, oh, man, that, that, one kinda, that, that one's kind of challenging. That's God speaking to you. Whenever you sense that in those moments, that's actually God impressing through his Holy Spirit upon your life, saying, hey, that's for you right there. Like, I want to give that one to you right, right there. This is, what, this is what James is saying. We need to submit ourselves to God at all times in such a way where we are ranking ourselves under God. We're saying, God, I, I'm going to take every, every way in which you challenge me, every way in which you encourage me, I'm going to take it to heart. I'm going to rank under you. See, oftentimes what we do is, is we want peace before we obey. Like, okay, I'll obey you if you first do this. I mean, how many times have we said that to God? Okay, God, cool, I'll do that. But like, uh, I'm gonna throw a fleece out there. I'll do that if you first do this. 
Yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that first. And God's like, no, 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 no. Like, you obey, and then my peace comes. You obey, and then my grace comes. Like, everything that God promises us comes after our obedience to God first. This is what God's saying. This is what James is saying. You got to rank, rank under, because the the reality is, if there is any area of the life kept back from God, there will always be battles. Do you know that in the 1600s and 1700s, a little bit off topic, but 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 they would slave owners would would give a Bible to their to the to their African American slaves, and they would rip out certain portions of the Bible. They would rip out certain portions that that kind of denounced slavery. So they'd give them their Bibles. Oh, we want you to know Jesus, but we don't want you to see the certain parts that we're not living in obedience to. And I think, I think we do that same thing, don't we? I mean, I, I do that same thing. Oh yeah, no, that's good. Somebody, somebody told me a while ago, they said, Jordan, I've noticed it in my own life that every time God convicts me of something, it takes me about two years to actually put that thing into practice. And I started thinking back on my life, and I was like, that's probably pretty true to my life too. What would it look like though if we just submitted ourselves immediately? All right, God, I see that. I'm not going to wrestle with that. I'm going to rank myself under you. I'm not going to battle with you on that. I'm not going to war with you. I'm just going to submit myself. I'm just going to submit myself to you. The second thing that James says is we got to submit ourselves to him, and then we got to draw near to God. He goes on in verse 8 by saying, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So here's where James says, here's kind of the second way that you become at peace with God. So that then as an overflow of being at peace with God, you become a peacemaker in the world. You submit to him, you rank under him, you obey him, then you draw close to him, recognizing that he's a gracious heavenly father. I had, oh man, I had the gift of having a gracious Heavenly Father and a gracious mother too, who when I would make a mistake, like I, I just always knew, like I can come clean with this and you're going to embrace me instantly. But there was always accountability. I remember my dad telling me when I was younger, he said, son, okay, you came clean, now you have to go apologize. Well, dad, but I, I said I'm sorry. Yeah, but go say you're sorry to the people who you need to be sorry to. There's accountability there now. But, but son, you're, you're, you're always my son. I, this, is, this is what James is saying. Submit, and now draw near to God. How do we draw near to God? Well, we draw near to him as, as Zach and, and Crystal are singing so beautifully. We, we draw near to him in song. We draw near to him in prayer. We draw near to him when we, when we confess, God, I've done wrong. Like, I've been holding certain parts of my life back from you. And, and God gives us grace in those moments. We draw near to him when we read our Bible. We draw, we draw near to him when we have conversations over coffee with our, with our friends as we just discuss some of the challenges of life and we pray with one another. That's all drawing near to God. And the third thing that James says then as we close, he, he says, then, then humble yourselves before God. So submit, draw near, and then humble yourselves before God as he says in verse 9 and 10, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What does it look like to humble ourselves before God? Practically speaking, it, it recognizes, man, I'm just, God, I'm just not you. Like, I, like without Jesus, I am no different than anybody else. And so I submit to you. I rank myself under you. I, I draw near to you. And then I just humble myself. God, what do you want me to do? Like, like I, 
Like, what do you want me to do? Like, you're the general, so to speak. I'm the foot soldier. Like, what do you want me to, what do you want me to do? I want to humble myself before, before you. James says, I mean, we're, we're at war with others. We're at war with ourselves. All of it's a root cause of being at war with God. But, but he says, we don't, we don't have to be when we submit to him in every area of our life, holding nothing back from him. No, I'm going to submit every area of my life. I'm not, I'm not just going to give you this part, but not this part. And when we submit to him in every area of our life, I've been, we've been trying to teach this to, to our oldest child, Sophia. We're teaching her right now. God's love is a God loves you so that. Not a, this might help you parents, but not a God loves you but. There's a big difference between those two loves, by the way. I love you, but don't do that. No, I love you so I have a better plan for you. So you can, you can live out your sexuality this way. It's a, I've got a better plan. It's a plan that I have established for you before you ever had any plans on your own. And oh, by the way, I see things from a perspective that you can't see. I've got a plan for your career. I've got a plan for your education. I've got a plan for your friendship. I've got a plan for, I've got a, I've got a plan. God said, I got a plan. And so I want you to, and when we live in, accord, in obedience to God's plan, he said, I, I'm going to give you your, I'm going to give you the peace you're really after. I'm going to give you the joy, the security, the satisfaction that you're really actually after. But you got to, you got to, you got to submit, you got to draw near, you got to humble yourselves before, before me. And this is, this is where I was originally going to close, but then I just felt impressed later on in the week. I just, this past week, I just, I just sensed, I want to close this fourth chapter of James out right here and give me two minutes. This is going to be really fast. I just felt like, felt like I was supposed to share this. And in, in James 4, verse, verse 11 and 12, he, he goes on. Remember, one continuous thought here. He says, don't then speak evil against each other. Dear brothers and sisters, don't, don't speak evil. If you criticize and judge each other, then, then you're actually just criticizing and judging God's law. James right here, is, he's referring back to the royal law of love, as we discussed two weeks ago, if you remember, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he's talking about right here. He says, don't speak evil. He says, if you criticize and judge each other, then you're actually just criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to, here it is, obey the law, obey God's instruction, not to, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law. He's, he's the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now here's what I want us to get. Do you see this in verse 11 where James says, don't speak evil against each other? That phrase is actually one original word in the Greek language of which then later James was translated into English. And it's the word katalelio, which literally means to slander someone when he or she is not there to offer defense. What James is saying is now as we live out the peace that we have with God and we live as peacemakers on mission for God, hey, hey, keep in mind, don't speak evil. Don't slander. Don't gossip. Like if there is one thing, one thing, I mean, we, I've, Courtney and I have said this for years before ethos, when ethos was just a pipe dream. We said if there's one thing that we desire 30 years from now to look back on that ethos is known for, it's for healthy relationships. Because too many, we've experienced too, too much infighting and quarrels and, and catalalio. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. 
Like, we've experienced too much catalalio. Like, I'm a Greek scholar or something. Like, I have no idea. It might be something entirely different. I have no idea. But, but like, we, we got to recognize, like, there's, no, like, when we live at peace, we don't, we don't talk, ooh, well, we don't talk about that. No, no, whoa, hey, whoa. Have we spoken to that person about that? Like, have, that's what love looks like. This, I'm going to close right here. I just felt like I needed to get real practical with this. This is where I want to close, right here. If the truth about someone is harmful, we should cover in love, not repeat it. If they've sinned, then we should go to them personally and try to win them back. Like, we got we to gotta understand what it looks like to be peacemakers, not, not troublemakers. So we got to live on mission, be peacemakers for God. And, and I'll close with this final verse right here. As I, Isaiah the prophet, he writes, the fruit of that righteousness, the fruit of being made right with God, of being at peace with God, will be peace in our own lives. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forevermore. Like this is what James says. This is the fourth mark of maturity, being a peacemaker, not at war, not a, not a, not a troublemaker. Like what would it look like, church? What would it look like for a church to be peacemakers? What would it look like for all of us collectively to say, I, I want to submit to you, God. I want to draw near to you. I want to, I want to humble myself before you so that we could actually be those people, that other people from the outside look in and be like, I, there's something different about you. Like, y'all you are the same as the rest of the world. Like, y'all treat people differently. Like, y'all honor each other differently. Like, you love each other differently. Like, like you live at peace. Like, you have conversations of accountability that look different. Like, you, you don't do things publicly like the way that other people do things publicly. Like, you, you treat people with respect that I haven't seen before. Like, you don't, you don't, you shut down gossip and slander when other people are like, oh, tell me more. Like, you don't disguise your gossip with spirituality. Like, hey, Hey, Megan, did you hear what, uh, what Jensen did? No, what? He sinned. He's a sinner. Need of a savior. Bring him to church. Bring him to church. He needs a savior. But you know what? The only reason I'm telling you is so we can pray together. Can you pray with me? <laughs> You're like, uh, no, I don't want to pray with you, actually. <laughs> let's, let's be those people who are peacemakers, not troublemakers. So we lean into what it looks like to actually be at real peace with God as we embrace the fullness of his truth and obey all of which he's calling us to live in accordance to in our lives. We you bow your heads for just a moment? Close your eyes.